Welcome to It All Starts With You podcast, where young, health-centered people come to get fired up to learn the tips, tricks, and health hacks of what it takes to level up your performance. I'm your host, Michael Sack, and each week I'll be bringing you the most incredible people to share their story and knowledge in order to help you take your health to the next level. James Crosby, welcome to It All Starts With You. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So we were talking briefly before this. So what's got you started into doing um, a triathlon in the first place? My dad did a few triathlons. Well, he did more than a few when he was in his 20s. And so that was something that he liked to talk about a lot. And so I think it was 2016 when he mentioned uh, that I signed up for a triathlon. He, he, He recommended that I do it. So I ended up doing it. And it was kind of like a one and done thing. You know, I just kind of enjoyed it, really had fun, but I never was like, I'm doing this again. You know, let's do another one. Um, It just kind of was, that was it. And then in 2017, you know, the the race, it's an annual race. They had it again. So I ended up doing it a second time and I was like, okay, that was fun. But it was also kind of one and done thing. And I didn't pick it back up. And then finally, 2019, I was like, okay. I'm halfway through college. I'm 20 years old at this point. My sports career is kind of done because I did sports in high school and I was just kind of bored. Now I was mostly just lifting. I was doing a lot of calisthenics. Um, But my dad mentioned that I should do it again. And I ended up doing it for my third time in 2019 um, when previously I just kind of done it without any training. This time I was like, okay, I'm going to actually do about a month of training here and I ended up going to that race. It was a sprint distance. Um, so the distances there are, uh, for the one I did, was a quarter mile swim in the pool. Um, so it was a weird pool swim, kind of an awkward way to do it. Um, a 12 mile. Yeah. That's really yeah. short for a triathlon. Yeah, very short. So it's like, mm. it's actually, I think, called a super sprint triathlon. Um, eh, so okay. extra short. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the bike is 12 miles and the run was 5K. So all in all, it took me about an hour, a little over an hour, I think. And uh, I ended up doing really well. And, and I was really proud of my my time and my placing. And I thought, hey, like, you know, I, I only really put like a few weeks of any kind of training into this. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I'm not really doing anything else because in high school, I was playing other sports and had other interests. Maybe I'll try and uh, pursue this because I had so much fun and it seems like I'm actually decently good at it if I, if I put in some effort. And so that's what I did. Um, so that was summer of 2019 and July, August timeframe. And then I went on YouTube actually and started looking into Ironman stuff. And I was just like, (laughs) wow, this this is next level. You know, I was like, this is, absolutely ridiculous and i found a few youtubers and pro triathletes on youtube uh, my favorite pro triathlete is lionel sanders um okay. and he just makes great content just a huge fan of his and i remember seeing his videos and just being like wow i really want to i really like his lifestyle you know he's a pro ironman athlete and i was just like you know what i think i can do that too i really think that that's so fun the way he set up his life and Uh, It just seems like it's perfect. Um, And so after I saw a few of his videos and thought about it a little more, I started researching 
the Ironman races. And within probably two or three weeks after I did my sprint triathlon, I just signed up for the Ironman. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm putting my back up against the wall here and, you know, we're, we're figuring this out. Um, so that was basically the start of where I got into triathlon and in Ironman. And I spent the next year after that training for Ironman Florida 2020. Um, now, as everyone knows, 2020 was when COVID came, obviously, and it kind of wiped out everyone's year. Mm-hmm. So um, lucky for me, the race I chose was Ironman Florida. And Florida is um, one of the states during the um, pandemic that really didn't have a whole lot of restrictions like other states. Close to nothing. Yeah. That's all I heard. <laughs> yeah, close to nothing. Yeah. So thankfully, because of that exact reason, I just so happened to choose a race, you know, months before the pandemic hit where it was actually the only race in the United States that ended up happening that year. So a uh, huge, huge luck there. It was in November of 2020 and I was able to uh, train. So I was training the entire summer kind of like, is this race actually going to happen or am I going to have to wait another full year to do this race? Um, but, you know, I just trained through the summer. Once, once the pandemic hit, um, I really took advantage of the extra time I had as a student because I was doing all online classes at that point. So it made learning extremely um, easy to manage from a time standpoint. And I just had so much extra time on my hands. So I was like, I'm just going to put all this invested all into training for this race. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm still in great shape and I'll just train for another year, you know? Um, yeah, so that's like what that. I did in the pandemic. And I was just like, I just got super, super into it. And it was the only thing I could do. I mean, no one was going, I had just turned 21 and I mm. was really looking forward to going out to the bars with my friends. And that was of course, not an option for the entire year of 2020. So oh, I was like, shitty. okay, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to go out and train, but I'm happy I did it because Ironman, Florida went extremely well and it really set me up on a great path. Now tell us a little bit about about sort of the preparation leading into Ironman Florida. Yeah, so that was the first step after I signed up. It was how am I going to get into good enough shape to, to actually accomplish this thing? Uh, my goal was just to finish, honestly, and, and finish in like a somewhat respectable time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I thought about getting a coach um, to help me train because I really was coming at this sport with not a whole lot of knowledge. I did grow up swimming a little bit. So I had that as my background, which was really, really helpful because swimming specifically in triathlon is a weak point for a lot of people. Um, And in an Ironman, it's a 2.4 mile swim. So it's no joke. Um, You can't just kind of, you know, muscle your way through it. You know, yeah, you you can't fake that. Um, so I came at the swim with my swim training background. Um, and I wasn't like a great, like crazy swimmer growing up. I just did, you know, my summer swim team in my local neighborhood and high school. I I did some swimming too. Um, but the rest of it, I had to kind of figure out on my own because I decided I didn't want to get to a coach because I was really short on cash. The Ironman cost me a thousand bucks to sign up. And I kind of wanted to figure this out myself too. Um, okay. And so that's when I really cool. turned to the internet, you know, and uh, the internet, I mean, really, I, I got so much information from the internet, watching pro triathletes train, 
hearing what they said and then looking into specific studies on, you know, best training methods specifically for endurance based sports, like running and cycling, you know, for, you know, 26 miles, hundred mile rides and stuff like that. And so the training was very focused on low heart rate stuff. Um, and that was, um, the biggest, the biggest portion of my training, I was very focused on, um, going easy, building that aerobic foundation and that aerobic base. Um, very, very high focused on that. I would, and it started off very slowly too. Like I didn't just jump into doing three workouts a day. Um, that was something that gradually increased over time. So I started with, you know, one workout a day and then one to two workouts a day and started doing like seven workouts a week. And then 10 workouts a week, 14 workouts a week. And now I'm regularly doing two to three workouts a day. Usually my first Holy session, in the morning, my second session is yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah. It's a, it's most people would think, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. And I would have the same thing, but now it's just like almost my lifestyle, you know, like I just, I wake Sick. up early, do the, yeah, really then cool. go, to, go to work and then, after I come home from work, it's just time to do the next workout. And it's not really like a, a chore or like a thing where I'm, uh, I don't have motivation to do it. It's, it is really just a lifestyle. And, it's just something you, know, you do now. Yeah. It's just what I do now, you know, it's just, but I, it's, it's cool because I love it. And I, I love seeing the progress of it too. Um, and yeah. And so I would say most weeks, um, Right now, I do have a coach. So the first Ironman I did and the second Ironman I did, I did self-coached. And then um, after my second one, I decided to hire a coach who is also a friend of mine who does triathlon too. And he has his own coaching certification and company and stuff like that. So really got a sweet deal with him um, being friends already. Um, but yeah, so my, my training in terms of hours a week, on a bigger week, I'll probably put in 20 plus a little over 20 hours of cardio uh, in one week. And that's purely just cardio. Um, so what is that 20 hours of cardio? So what does that look like? Exactly. I want to touch base on the resistance training, but let's dive into the cardio. aspect. Yeah. So, um, the breakdown is usually like nine to 10 hours of biking. So biking takes up the majority of it. Um, I'm putting in usually around 200 plus miles a week on the bike. That's what that translates to. Mm. Um, I do a significant amount of my biking actually in my basement. Um, I have my bike on the trainer and I have a whole setup on Zwift where I can bike virtually and stuff like that. So that's, that's uh, the big, biggest chunk of tr training. And then, the next is probably around six hours of running. I usually do 40 to 50 miles of that per week. Um, and then the last is the swimming. Um, and that's also my strongest one. So, you know, three to four hours of swimming or so a week. Um, that translates to, I believe, around eight miles, eight or eight to 10 miles of swimming a week. And I just do that in my local pool. And I try and get in the water as often as I can. So I'm almost swimming every day. But yeah, that's the breakdown. Majority is the bike and just building up that that kind of really strong bike fitness for sure. And then I do hit the resistance training too. So, so you're doing a eight to ten miles in in the water, right? Yeah. So that's about I think sixteen to twenty kilometers. That's a lot. So tell me about uh, the 
resistance resistance training you're doing are you doing um are you doing like squats deadlifts what so what does what does your resistance training regimen look like yeah so that's something that is actually of the three that's the least structured right now that's the one that i'm really working on improving for and in terms of making it more structured um uh i i need to sit down with my coach and figure that part out but right now it's mostly squats a lot of leg lifts for sure my favorite is both bulgarian split squats um, said no one ever <laughs> yeah yeah i know so those are the those are the absolute worst if if you're familiar yeah, obviously you're familiar with them yeah but yeah they they suck a lot so mm. um naturally i incorporate them every time I go and I try and shatter my legs with those you know, at the start of every workout. And so I do those, I do, I do regular squats. I'd like to do kettlebell swings too. Um, really cool. Yeah. Calf raises, leg extensions. I, I have not incorporated deadlift into my routine at this point. Um, but that's definitely something I think as I get more structured in my lifting that I can learn how to do. I just want to make sure I'm absolutely, you know, hitting form properly. Um, because the last thing I want to do is, you know, you know, mess up, up my back. Lower back. Yeah. Exactly. I, as a personal trainer, I've heard that a lot. Um, I've seen some horrendous lifts as well. And it's like, yeah, they, these guys are stacking on a shit ton of weight on the bar. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Someone please coach this guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I know what I know what bad form looks like, and so when I go and see someone do a deadlift with bad form, I'm like, oh man, like that's just <laughs> that does not look good, and you know they're stacking on the weight, and I'm not I'm not saying I could do much better because yeah. I you know I don't have the the technique the proper technique, but I know when it looks bad, I'm like, oh gosh, like, got to take it easy there, man. But um, so it, in terms of the other resistance side of it, I, I have started doing upper body as well. Um, so that's something that I haven't really done as much since I started triathlon. So I used to really be really big into calisthenics. So I Same. was doing you know, ridiculous amount of pull-ups. Yeah. So that was my favorite exercise. But, um, after I started doing more cardio, I was like, you know, maybe I gotta, I gotta work on more of the cardio aspect of it. I don't really need to have, you know, big arms, a big chest, like that stuff probably isn't as important to go fast in triathlon. So those are things that I just kind of let go and just kind of got my, my upper body from swimming, um, my, my yeah. upper body workout, but now I'm starting to incorporate it back because I think it can help my swimming improve even more. So I'm just going to continue start doing pull-ups again. Uh, the past two weeks, I think, yeah, the past two or three weeks are the, is the first time I've incorporated upper body into my lifts again for, since like over a year. Um, so I was super sore after I did my first, you know, round yeah. of pull-ups and the next day I was just like shattered my arms it was probably like four days you know I couldn't yeah. even feel my arms but um yeah I think I think it can be very beneficial for swimming um my goal is definitely not to put on size it's really just yeah. to you know, help 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 those um those swimming muscles get a little bit stronger and hopefully that'll help me with faster swims when COVID hit in Australia my jiu-jitsu gym closed and I started I, I bought myself a wetsuit and I started and I started swimming a lot more and it was an absolute godsend. I was in yeah. the water 
And there was this guy, he must have been in his late 60s or something like that. And it was cold, it wasn't, it wasn't a warm day by any means. And here's this guy in his speedos just doing a lap. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. this is uh, the golden elixir right here. Yeah. It's like, just keep fucking swimming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, swimming is a brutal workout too. It like, is. It's, it's, it is so brutal. And I remember when I would go... Well, when the pandemic hit, I I had to go a month without swimming because um, all the pools were closed. And I got back in the water for the first time. And that first swim workout I did, uh, (laughs) oh, my gosh, it was awful. And so I really like those first the the first time you kind of transition into swimming again after not doing it for a while or if you're totally new to it it's exhausting. It's, it's Mm. really destroys you and you feel it in your triceps, your lats, and you're just so stiff and yeah, it's brutal, but it's such a good workout and you can do it for a long time because it's so light on your joints too. So swimming is definitely a sport that I'm going to continue to do probably for the rest of my life. Yeah. What about your running? Um, do you think by encompassing resistance training do you think the resistance training has helped your running in regards to in regards to recovery yes yeah so i definitely noticed gains on the bike and in running incorporating uh strength uh training in the gym for sure um that's been something that i can track pretty easily but just like on the bike and the run, I can look at my paces. On the bike, I can look at my wattage, my output, and I can correspond that with my heart rate. So I can see, you know, am I pushing more wattage at a similar heart rate than I was before, or even a lower heart rate? Um, so huge gains. Um, well, I say huge, huge relative to, you know, I've been in the sport for three years. So when I can add an extra five watts, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, definitely um, seeing the gains with strength training, with running particularly, I think, um, I, I, yeah, I qualified for Boston last November. That was my first open marathon that I did, and I ran a 254, which came out to around 639 pace per mile. Fantastic. Per kilometer, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what that is per kilometer, but um, <laughs> yeah, it was something I never thought I'd be able to do, and now... I'm thinking if I did the same exact marathon that I did, you know, 10 months ago or whatever, I think I'd drop it easily five minutes, easily, maybe even 10 minutes. Um, and that's obviously from um, a good deal more of run training, but adding into the, uh, the, the uh, resistance training, it just makes my legs so much stronger too. So like in an Ironman or in a marathon, when you're, when you're approaching that wall where you're, you're just, you're just hurting bad. You know, a lot of the times the cardio isn't, isn't what's stopping you. It's your legs that start to fall apart and deteriorate and break down. And so if you can build up some really serious strength in your legs, that really helps those last, you know, four or five miles of the, of the marathon and, and you can really smash it out. With, um, with tracking your numbers, are you, you're obviously you're tracking you're writing it you're writing down your numbers a bit are you doing the due diligence or are you giving that over to your coach and he says hey you can be doing this that this that that and so on um so my coach basically sees all my workouts and sees all the data 
I, of course, look at the data too. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I basically leave it up to him to, um, to write all the workouts and to make the next best decision. Um, we like to do certain tests every now and then, like benchmark tests to mm. see where I'm improving. So I don't know if you know what an FTP test is on the bike. Um, basically it's just a measure of your power output for one hour, but there's ways that you can test it on the trainer, um, without actually pedaling for an hour. So, um, if I see improved like improvements where I can, you know, um, do a test and at the end of the test, I'm at 300 Watts. And then I do the same test, you know, six months later, and I've gone from 300 Watts to 320 Watts, you know, that that's an objective improvement where I've been able to output 20 more Watts, you know, um, in those six months of training. So he looks at that data and all the workouts that he makes is based off the data that we get in training. And when we do do testing, um, yeah, all that stuff is, um, decided by him, but I give my input too, you know, because I did coach myself for two years. Mm. Um, I do like to be a part of the, of the conversation with coaching. So he'll like, he'll kind of give me his idea on what he wants me to do. Um, and then I'll kind of weigh in, he'll, he'll ask for my input too. And we'll come up with like, um, you know, kind of like the plan moving forward. So for like my last race in Lake Placid, um, he said he wanted me to back off on the bike a little bit and Mm. focus more on having a really strong run. Um, so that was basically the plan. So we geared my, my training so that I would, have be able to run really, really fast off the bike. So we put more run emphasis on the training and that's how we did it. And it worked out really well. Lake Placid was a huge success. And I think I'm going to employ a similar strategy moving to my next race in Hawaii in seven weeks. You're doing Kona, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the next one. So I interviewed a woman. I don't remember if she did. She was in the triathlon scene for a very for a very long time. And she did Kona and she said it was one of the most brutal triathlons she's ever done. Yeah. Um what was what's the what's the game plan of moving forward or towards towards a Kona? What was that? No, sorry. What was the strategy that you implemented in the last triathlon? And how are you going to implement it with Kona? Right. So the strategy was for Lake Placid, um, basically push lower watts for the for the bike portion. Uh, everything steady I heart do. Rate. Yeah. Yeah. Steady okay, heart cool. rate. Nothing. Nothing over. Basically, make sure you can get off the bike and run fast. And in order to do that, we had to set a limit on the amount of watts that I was supposed to push for the race. Cool. Now I, I did go slightly over that limit. Um, okay. but I got off the bike and still had a fantastic run. Um, still PR in the run and, and did what I wanted to do. I was able to win the age group, which is always nice. Um, Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. So the same, the same strategy is basically going to work in Kona as well. Um, you know, doing well in Ironman, it's almost always about how well you can run. The bike is a huge portion of the race. The swim is important, but it's only about an hour or so. The bike is typically four or five hours. Um, and the run is, you know, you know, three hours or so um, at my level. 
So even, even though the run isn't as long as the bike, if you shatter your legs on the bike, you are going to walk the marathon and you're going to put up a seven hour marathon and you're going to be totally miserable, you know, and you're going to come in four hours behind the time that you really wanted. So the game plan for any Ironman, I mean, it's not, it's not a bike race. The game plan is to run as best as you can essentially, because you can make up a lot of time on the run if you can run well. And so don't bike slow, but you know, don't, hammer your legs on the bike and walk you know 13 miles of the run you know and 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 completely blow up your race um that's not what i want to do it's always a bad experience when that happens thankfully it's never really happened to me but i have made mistakes where i have really had a very painful run where i really you know could have made better decisions and not had as much of a painful run but yeah, the game plan in Ironman, if you can run well, you can finish really, really strong. And so I think moving forward, my plan for every Ironman is going to be pace the bike. You know, don't, it's not about who puts up the best bike time. You know, no one cares how fast your bike time is if you run five hours for the marathon, you know, um, it's put the best bike and run combination together. And in order to do that, you have to bike conservative. And then you can run aggressively off the conservative bike. And I think that's the best way to approach it. If you see how triathlons are set up, it's like a list of priorities. It's like, sure, it's hard to ride throughout, but the your most important <clears throat> is the run itself. It isn't yeah. so much, as you said, the swim or the bike. Yeah. 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 The run is, is so, so important. And there's, there's so many pro athletes even that have a hard time with it because they just, they go too hard on the bike. They get, I mean, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. You get caught up in the atmosphere of the race, the adrenaline, and you know, the bike is five hours long, but you're two hours in and you realize you've pushed, you know, 300 Watts when you should have been pushing 250 Watts and you've already done the damage and, you know, you might be feeling okay now, but in four more hours, you're going to be toast. Uh, and, and there's other things you have to consider too, like your, your nutrition. Um, if, if, even if you pace the bike properly, you're still biking 112 miles and then trying to run a marathon after doing that. And so if you don't get your nutrition right in, you know, perfect, almost perfectly, you're going to really, really pay for it because, um, I mean, it's such a long race and, and the environment you're racing in, I mean, it's only going to make it harder, especially if it's a hot day and conditions are brutal out there. Like any, any sort of mistake from a nutrition standpoint can cost you greatly um, if, if you're not careful. And so that's something that you have to train with keeping in mind too. A lot of people say it's kind of like the fourth sport, the fourth discipline in triathlon, you have swim, bike, run, but then your fourth nutrition. most important thing is nutrition. You know, if mm. you, if you screw that up, if you don't do that right, then you might as well have not even shown up at all because you're going to, you're going to bomb the race, you know? I'm really happy that you brought up the nutrition because that was the next thing I was going to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So leading up to five, uh, to five, rather, sorry, leading up to race day, how, <laughs> what's the time period? What's the time frame that you are preparing a your, your nutrition or is your nutrition 
the exact same right throughout the EU as in it just doesn't change at all? Um, yeah, great question. So right now we're seven weeks out from the race. Um, I have a very new, very specific nutrition strategy that mm. I've kind of been testing out. And <clears throat> I don't, if I'm, if I'm 10 weeks out from the race, I'm not really executing that exact nutrition strategy and practice for yeah. a few reasons. One, because, um, it's expensive. I mean, if I had unlimited nutrition, then maybe I would be able to do this, but um, unfortunately, I'm not fully sponsored, so I'm buying a lot of this stuff myself, and it's expensive. And so, to actually implement race race nutrition every weekend while training would would really be expensive for me. Also, um, I mean, as as much as I enjoy the nutrition, it does get a little bit old every now and then. So, from sure. to keep it a little fresh, you know, I don't like to just repeat the exact same thing every weekend but typically six to seven weeks out so starting kind of this weekend i'm going to start honing that nutrition in and sharpening it up to exactly kind of what i'm going to do on race day and that's important because um over a nine hour race i have to be consuming a decent amount of calories in order to keep moving forward and while consuming i'm also going to be racing quite hard i'm going to be pushing my body and so that takes time for your stomach to adjust to that both digesting food while performing and, and exerting a certain amount of output simultaneously um and so six to seven weeks out is when i start sharpening that up and allowing my body to adapt to you know working out while consuming food and the amount of food i consume so i know hawaii is going to be like like your friend said, uh, that last person you interviewed, it's a brutal course. And I've done brutal courses before, um, so I kind of know what to expect. But Hawaii is a different environment. I haven't been in an environment like Hawaii before. And I know it's it's typically hot in October. I think it's like one of the hottest months of the year for them. Mm. Second, second or third hottest month. So I'm expecting conditions to be brutal. And I'm going to train for the most brutal conditions, too. That way, if it is brutal, I'm ready for it. If it's not as brutal, then we're good to go anyways, you know. Um, but to adjust for those brutal conditions, I'm going to have to consume more calories, more electrolytes. And that kind of load on my stomach is something that I need to practice beforehand. If I try and do that race day, then that's probably going to lead to something like an upset stomach. If I try and try and drink 14 bottles of Gatorade when I'm only used to drinking 10 bottles of Gatorade, you know, that those are things that you need to think of ahead of time because you're going to need to consume a shit ton of fluid in between starting and finishing. And if your stomach's not ready to handle, you know, 14 Gatorades, then you're going to be in a lot of pain, stomach cramping, and you're going to be walking the run. And so those are things that I look about, think about, also, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I eat like little gummies as well. I, I do things that work for me, granola bars. Some people eat like, so, like really solid food, like, like sandwiches and stuff. I like to keep it really light, gummy bears, granola bars, um, and, and, and just the on-course nutrition that they have, with it, which is mostly Gatorade and Red Bull and stuff like that. Yeah, right. So what's the strategy that you're implementing at the moment? So right now, um, I consume around, <clears throat> sorry, um, right. about a bottle every 30 minutes. That's my goal. Um, one, one bottle 
on the, this is specifically on the bike. So, so yeah, I'll break it down to swim. You can't really consume anything because yeah. you're swimming. Um, so I kind of, I kind of front load a little bit of my nutrition before the race. I'll have like a bottle of Gatorade before, um, and some gummies with electrolytes and a little bit of caffeine in them. So I'll kind of front load my nutrition, finish the swim. As soon as I get out of the water, I'm beginning to compensate for that hour of time where I did not consume a single thing. And so I'm getting on the bike and I'm already trying to, I'm probably going to finish my first Gatorade in like 10, 15 minutes. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to chug it, but I'm going to be intentional by, you know, drinking it pretty quickly. Um, and so I'll start the bike with around three bottles on my bike. So I have a bottle cage behind my seat. I have a bottle cage on the stem, um, between my legs and I have a front, uh, bottle cage where I can drink out of while I'm in my aero bar position on the bike. Mm. Um, so I'll finish one bottle within 10, 15 minutes, and then I'll immediately take my second bottle and bring it to the front basically, and start slowly sipping that. So that, that, that after that first bottle is done, I'm slowly sipping the second one. And by the time I'm, you know, halfway done with the second bottle, I'm already at the first aid station and I grab a Gatorade there and I put it in the back reserve, you know, tank kind of thing. And then I continue that process over and over again. And I'm probably averaging about one bottle every 30 minutes on the bike, which means if I'm biking five hours, that's close to 10 bottles of Gatorade on the bike. Um, I wouldn't say I fully finish every Gatorade, but I'm at least grabbing 10 bottles throughout the entire bike course. And in addition to the Gatorade, they're handing out waters too. And what I'll do is I'll spray the, it's usually freezing water. Um, so it's great for cooling off. I'll use the water to, you know, maybe, um, clean out my mouth if it's like full of Gatorade, which it always is. And then, you know, you know, pour the rest of the water on my body to really cool me off. And I noticed that it helps a lot just doing that, just, just spraying myself with cold water feels great. And then yeah. food wise, um, in addition to all the Gatorade on the bike, I'm incorporating a system where I take one, one gummy. I have this cliff block gummy that I take every 10 minutes. And so I have a timer on my watch while I'm biking that will go off every 10 minutes and alert me that it's time to eat another gummy. Sorry, I'm on the phone. Um, it'll alert me when, uh, the next time to eat like a gummy is, um, mm. and then I'll also eat, um, a granola bar or two during the bike as well. I try and eat one granola bar or yeah, one granola bar, at least one around halfway on the bike. And then the second one, probably close to when I start the run at around the hundred mile point that helps me absorb all the sugar and stuff. Um, because I mean, there's so much liquid and volume in your stomach that at least for me, it's really helpful to have a granola bar on the bike to kind of soak that up and, mm. and kind of prepare, prepare your stomach from being in like a very static fixed position, um, to a up and down, you know, you're pounding Bouncing. away. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So that just running alone, even, even without all that volume in your stomach, you know, running can sometimes upset your stomach. It's just the way it is. And it happens to me, you know, regularly, luckily it's, it doesn't really happen to me in races very often, but I have been in a position where in a race, it's just been very upset 
And that's a very bad feeling that I try and avoid at all costs because, you know, that's, that's very miserable. So and then on the run, yeah, yeah. And then on the run, um, I always carry a waist belt, um, with a bottle holder in the back. Um, so I have a bottle of my nutrition of choice so I can make my bottles ahead of time. I put whatever I want in it. And then, um, there's aid stations every mile of the run. So at those aid stations, they have these little cups, you know, some of them are filled with Gatorade, with water, Red Bull, Coke, um, and they have oh, signs about okay them. yeah yeah so you basically have whatever you want chicken broth is another one um and then they I have bananas see, yeah. and food so i usually don't don't really eat any of the food i'm trying to be as efficient as possible running through these aid stations and just getting what i absolutely need which is typically gatorade water and ice and i'll throw the ice in my triathlon suit to keep myself cool because the cooler i am the the better, the better, better performance I'm going to have really. So keeping cool is huge. Um, and then towards the end of the run, it just kind of turns into kind of a shit show usually, um, where I'm just, yeah, just trying to get everything in I can. And, uh, you know, I usually don't start the, the run with Red Bull. I kind of wait to do that. Um, but yeah. by the end, I'm just, I'm just taking whatever I need to get to the finish line, which is usually, coke and red bull at that point and i'm just just slamming those cups down and and, and trying to to finish out the last you know, three or four miles the last 5k um and so yeah so that's my nutrition strategy and um it's probably not the most structured one it might sound structured but um there are definitely people out there that really really um like focus on it yeah it's just very anal about it you know but yeah. i'm i'm focused on on it for sure but maybe not as much as i could be or as other people are for sure yeah um moving towards recovery um what's your recovery what's your recovery like you touched briefly on keeping your body cool which is awesome what are you doing for recovery are you doing ice baths are you doing yeah massages saunas like what are you what are you up to yeah yeah so um i don't know if you saw my most recent video on tiktok but i recently purchased a freezer that i turned into an ice bath kind of Sick. Uh, really cool. yeah so, so i'm i'm big into ice baths i've always loved ice baths um mm. and up until like last week my protocol for that was basically just fill up the tub with cold water go to the store buy 40 to 50 pounds of ice throw all that ice into the cold water and then sit in it for you know 20 minutes or so and try and do lower and upper body yeah yeah i would i would transition between lower and upper body so i might do 10 minutes lower 10 minutes upper but um that was my my strategy and that was time consuming because I had to fill yeah. up the bath. I had to go to the store and then I had to buy the ice, which is actually getting a little bit more expensive now. Buying 40, 50 pounds of ice every time I want to do an ice bath is uh, starts to add up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah so I chose the freezer and uh, I, I sealed it up on the inside with Flex Seal and uh, filled it up with water. And this thing gets insanely cold. Yeah. I left it on all night and there was a ton of ice in it the next morning. And I was like, wow. And I put a thermometer in there. 
it's like 33 degrees and i'm like my gosh like this is this is unbelievable so i think ideal temperature for me is in the 40s like 45 ish degrees Mm, yeah Uh, i think celsius that's probably like like three degrees Celsius, two or three degrees Celsius or something uh, like that. I'm maybe. not sure. I'm not sure. I'll have I'm to look sure it exactly. up, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's cold. cold. Very, very cold. Um, but that's my number one recovery thing. I just like to sit in there. It helps with my soreness a lot. Uh, inflammation. Yeah. I know it's great for hormones too yeah. and um, metabolism. And it always helps me sleep better too. If I take a cold shower or a cold tub and then, you know, let my body warm up, maybe take a little hot shower afterwards. I just sleep so good. Um, really, really relaxed me. Andrew Huberman swears by this. Um, he will, I'm, I'm forgetting the phrase at the moment, uh, but um, let your body warm up <laughs> naturally rather yeah. than jumping into the hot shower. It also, help significantly with um with cortisol levels i find that when i'm stuck in my head with this or that or whatever i i'll have a hot shower and then i'll then i'll turn it off and i'll have that cold shower and it gets me out of my head so fucking quickly (laughs) yeah yeah does does it do the same for you yeah yeah definitely um i love it i love the challenge of it too um it's like sometimes I'm I'm getting in the tub and I'm like, oh my god! I'll like put my finger in it beforehand, and I'll just be like, this is this is brutal, and I'll just sit there for a couple minutes, and I'll have to put on something to distract me, you know. But yeah, it definitely it's so refreshing, and uh, I just I just love it. it. Makes me feel really really good. Another another recovery tool I use. Um, I do. I am fortunate enough to have a hot tub in my backyard. Um, so I'll get in the hot tub and have the jets on my legs, which is really, really nice also for releasing, releasing soreness. So I love the hot, cold therapy a lot, a lot of people, like transitioning from those two. I do try and let my body thaw out and warm up after doing a cold. If I go right from cold to hot, uh, it's not as, um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel as good as letting my body warm up. Kind of like you said, but, um, I think it would be beneficial to also just kind of get out of the ice bath and not do any shower or, or hot tub and just let me completely warm up naturally. And that takes a while too, because sometimes I'll do that and I'll be cold for the next hour or two, you know, after an ice bath and it'll take a really, really long time. Um, But yeah, my favorite recovery tool by far, and I'm really happy I got this freezer set up too, because I was looking into some online ice baths um that you could purchase where they where they actually have like a full tub that they install and it's like ten thousand dollars it was unbelievable and i was like there's got to be an easier way to do this and so you know just found like a 250 dollar uh freezer and then bought some flex seal and sealed it up and you know that's all it really took and you know and it's just as good honestly if not better it's it's a little small i i should have picked a bigger one um but it gets the job done and uh i'll definitely be using it for the next year or two at least i will see how long it lasts i don't know what Mm. the lifespan is on this but 250 bucks i mean it cost me almost 20 bucks every time i wanted to do an ice bath 
mm. at my house because I had to go buy the ice. Um, so it was getting expensive. So after, you know, 10, 10 to 15 ice baths, this fridge is going to pay for itself. Um, so definitely happy I bought it. Um, another another tool I use for recovery is the Normatec boots, those compression boots. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big, long thing that wraps around to your waist. Yeah, no, I've, seen, I've yeah. seen a lot of guys who use that and they, they, they swear by it. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a giant pair of pants you put on, exactly. Yeah. And then it has these air chambers. Feels really good. Um, that's something that I got um, back in November, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. so I've had it for, um, like a close to nine months now, I guess. Um, it's a very, very helpful tool. I like to use it before and after workouts. So some people will say it's only a recovery tool, but I, I'm on the side that, I mean, I'm on the team that, uh, thinks that it's more, it can be a, a pre-workout and a post-workout because it has these different modes on it. That'll kind of warm up your legs as well and you know the website says that you can use it before a big bike ride or a big run so that's what i'll do i'll kind of do that it'll kind of enhance the more blood flow into my legs so i use that a lot too um and then in addition to those things i think stretching is important too after after workouts i like to do a little round of light stretches i'm not, i'm not very flexible um but you know, just doing those things really helps with the tightness and the soreness, especially because I'm, I'm I'm sitting at a desk most of the day. So mm -hmm. if I do a really hard morning workout, I'm a little bit tight and then I have to go sit for eight hours in a chair. Not the best thing I can do for recovery and for my muscles. So if I can kind of loosen that up a little bit, stretching helps with that. And, you know, getting in the hot shower, loosening up my muscles there is great. And then there's other like smaller products I use. I just became an ambassador for something called Flex Power. Um, nice. It kind of has, uh, they have two, two brands. They have a warm brand and a CBD brand. So I'll use those and kind of rub those on my legs after a workout. That'll help relieve additional soreness. Um, and yeah, it feels really good. And my experience with those have been really, really good too. I'll put them on sometimes before workout. Um, but mostly after workout and, you know, little things like that really make a difference. Um, but yeah, that's mostly my recovery team. I guess the most important thing would just be sleep, honestly. Yeah. I think sleep is super important. And yeah, so anything that helps me sleep is something that I put into practice as much as I can. And ice baths being one of those things that helps me with really good sleep. So I try to sleep, you know, around eight hours a day and um, just really focus on, going to bed at a similar time and waking up at a similar time is helpful too. With all these technologies, they're great and all, but if we, if we go back to our ancestors where people were living in caves, the only two things that they really had access to was cold, hot exposure, which is like, yeah. that's natural and then sleep. CBD yeah. helps, all those boots help and all of that. Yeah, cool. That's new technology. But if you go back to like being original, it's those two things. It's like yeah. you stick it to you stick to the old school stuff and it it works like a charm. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely agree with that with our, you know, caveman days. You know, that's how things were. And so that's kind of how that's how we're built. And we're still built on the same system, but we've added all this technology and stuff to it. So going back to the roots, definitely, you can't go wrong there. I think I think it's definitely 
definitely there's a reason why cold exposure and heat exposure works and it's because mm. of that exact reason that's what that's what we we come from yeah um yeah it's it's like with all this new information it can get like super confusing yeah. but this guy is doing this and this woman is doing that blah, blah, blah. it's like fucking yeah. just stick it to <laughs> yeah stick to the old school stuff and it works like a charm um yeah. where where can people find you so i am uh on instagram and tiktok those are my two main platforms i'm trying to start posting a little bit more on youtube too um but yeah my main platform is tiktok for sharing my training content and then i'll I'll sometimes post instagram as well but yeah tiktok is my biggest place you can find me and if uh if if anyone is listening that uses strava too i'm not sure if you're familiar with strava yeah it's very popular yeah so i'm on strava as well i post you can look at every single one of my workouts that i do there so i'll i'll upload i'll use my watch to track my workouts and every single one of those gets uploaded to strava so you can see what i'm doing on a daily basis and see the kind of uh workouts i do the kind of paces i run the kind of heart rate that i target and stuff like that um but yeah definitely those those three platforms super cool final question if you were to go back to your 18 year old self and give him 10 seconds of advice what would it be I would say the biggest thing that's always been blocking me, and I think it always blocks a lot of people, is letting fear control them. Um, yeah, right. So I would say, live or make decisions like you're not you're not afraid. You know, make decisions mm. like um, you can still be afraid, but don't let the fear control you. You know, sure. um, just just take take a second to be brave and do what you know needs to be done, whether that's go for, go to the gym, sign up for that race. Like for me, it was signing up for the race. Like Ironman was something that was really scary for me. Um, but for some reason I felt the need to do it, even though it was terrifying. And after I signed up for it, you know, I, I regretted it almost immediately. I was like, I, what have I done here? You know, I'm, I've now cornered myself and put myself up against the wall. But at the end of the day, even though I was extremely afraid, of it it turned out to be like the best decision i ever made um so i would say oftentimes it's the things that you fear most that you should probably you know pursue pursue doing that thing you know um and obviously there's a little bit of line there but yeah. um don't do anything stupid but you know <laughs> the things that you fear tend to be the the places where you can excel at and you have the most potential for growth in and they can honestly lead to you know, changing your life. Like three years ago, you told me that I was going to be a, a triathlete that was winning Ironman age groups and stuff like that, competing at a world championship level. I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, but <laughs> it was that one step of one moment where I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I put my fear aside and, you know, here I am now. So I would say, just don't be afraid. And I mean, it's okay to be afraid, but don't let it control you. You know, I love I, I love that, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to resonate to with that, including yours truly. Um, James, mate, this has been an absolute fire, and I really appreciate your time, and I I wish you all the best of luck in 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 everything that you do, not only in racing it, but your career and your life moving forward. So, thank you. Thank you very much, too. Likewise, as well. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys and. Uh, I'd love to come on again sometime. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. 
really appreciate you listening to the episode. If you had a light bulb moment or that aha moment, it goes such a long way. If you could take 20 seconds and leave a five star written review, screenshot the episode and share it to your stories and make sure you tag me for that shout out.